0: This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ, in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good evening, everybody. It's good to see everybody here. We got a good crowd for Wednesday night. Um, I wanted to... Ask a question just starting out, and that's just simply, "Who here has ever been tired before?" <laughs> Sometimes we're dog tired, right? That's a saying that comes from the 1500s, and it refers to the way a dog will just come in and flop itself on the floor when it overexerted itself. And you know, when we think about a person, the picture comes to mind of someone who is despondent. You know, they're barely moving forward. They're really approaching the point of being worthless just because they're exhausted. And sometimes when a Wednesday night comes up, we might feel sort of like that when it comes time to head to church. We all do that from time to time. I know I have. And many times it's not just a physical exhaustion, it's also a mental exhaustion. There are times when mental exhaustion can make us more useless than physical exhaustion. Isn't that true? The mental exhaustion might alter the way we behave or... Respond to others you ever get tired of other people. Do you ever get to the point where? Somebody's getting on your nerves and your response to them is you know, it's not what it should be But you can't summon up anything else. I'll tell you what me and teenagers. We don't get along teenagers tend to make me want to choke them out I Know I shouldn't be that way, but I can't handle disrespect and stupidity and that's what I sometimes get. And then after that, though, I find myself thinking, man, that is not the, that's not going to change anything. I remember what I was like at that age, and if you had treated me that way, um, it would have only encouraged more of the same. And so as I was thinking about what to speak about tonight, I was thinking, you know, that mental exhaustion, that physical exhaustion where we behave differently because we no longer feel like we have the energy, sometimes there's spiritual exhaustion. And with spiritual exhaustion, we may not really be physically or mentally weary. We may just be over it, as the expression goes. I would imagine there's at least one person in the building tonight who feels spiritually exhausted. They're over church. They wish they weren't here. And... Perhaps when that happens to us, we just make a decision that we no longer care to do the things a Christian should. Perhaps we no longer take our calling or the way we live our lives or the way we treat people as seriously because of the exertion, the time, the sacrifice that it requires of us. And really, this is a very common affliction that can be traced all the way back to the very beginning of the church. The writer of Hebrews He took the time to address this phenomenon. If you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Now here we see a picture of someone who's physically and mentally exhausted, but the point is to address spiritual exhaustion. The hands that are meant to serve Christ, they're just hanging limply at the side. The knees that are meant to carry the burdens of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, they're just bent from exhaustion, and they're just shuffling along, and they may stumble. This is a spiritual picture. But as they haphazardly stumble along their path, perhaps stumbling... The writer of Hebrews tells them to spiritually perk up. He says, get your eyes firmly on the Christian path again. Stand up straight lest you be swept aside. This exhaustion, it's portrayed here as a malady that needs healing. It's not something that we just soldier through, that we just endure, that we accept, hey, it's just the way things are right now. No, it says it needs to be healed. It's, it's something that is draining our lifeblood, our spiritual lifeblood out, and it has to be Dealt with. Hebrews 12, verse 25 says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. That's God. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, that's the prophets of the teachers of the past, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. And then a little further on in verse 28, the Bible says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? In even earlier verses of Hebrews, the writer tells us to accept chastisement gladly, because God chastises those whom he loves. So is this lesson tonight meant to be some form of chastisement? No, it's not. I hope it's encouragement. But when the writer of Hebrews wrote that, it was a form of chastisement to these people. And when God chastises, it's because he sees two things. He sees a problem that needs to be fixed, and he sees people he loves enough that he wants them to fix it for their own good. So let's bear that in mind as we move forward. Let's let's look at what we have here as an admonition to change. Let's stop haphazardly and tiredly moving forward as a child of God, if that's happening to us, And instead, let's do things with grace and energy and determination because there's a consequence if we don't. It says we'll be swept aside. We'll be moved out of the way so that another person who is more willing will do the will of God. The question is here in this verse in our text, or Hebrews 12 and 12, what were they being told to do? The answer is found in the next chapter, Hebrews 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Now, by reading from chapter 12, we got a little context for this verse. And first, there's a few things you can take from this verse here. The first thing is that we can assume that brotherly love had already been happening in the past. That's why they were told to continue. And that it had been something that um, perhaps they had grown slack in because they were encouraged not to grow slack in it. And even if they hadn't, the implication is that there would come a time when they would grow weary, and they would slack off in brotherly love and it seems that maybe they were worn out maybe things were no longer as they should be perhaps their efforts to love one another were a bit forced perhaps they didn't show each other love like they used to anymore perhaps their words were laced with sarcasm and venom hatefulness ugliness to the people they loved and who loved them the most that could very well happen could happen to them it can happen to us may be happening to us this verse finally implies that brotherly love is very important if you read through all of chapter 13 you're gonna see it explain things like hospitality marriage daily conduct submission to authority grace instead of legalism and prayer for one another those are all things that follow immediately after this verse All of these things are direct applications of brotherly love. And I'd like you to keep that in mind. We're not going to cover those things tonight. But I want you to remember hospitality, marriage, daily conduct, submission to authority, grace over legalism, prayer for one another. This is brotherly love. And about all this, God says, listen to my words and obey him with reverence and godly fear in this matter with the warning that God is a consuming fire. There's a consequence, you see for not doing this. And brotherly love, it's really serious. I think we take it for granted sometimes, you know. We certainly take the people who are good at it for granted. We know who those people are. The ones who smile a lot, inspire us a lot. They're full of energy. They're full of laughter, full of jokes, full of support. They care. They ask questions. When people come up and ask me questions about they say, how you doing? I'm doing fine. What did you do this week? I tell them some little thing. And the next thing I know, they're asking me a follow-up question about it. And sometimes they catch me off guard because in their position, I can't say that I would really care sometimes. And yet they do. And it's those people who get you thinking later. And it's like, why did they do that? Why do they seem so genuine and sincere? And you feel a sense of comfort from the fact that you have that support and maybe you feel a little bit of... Um, Prodding to become more like that yourself. It's a commandment, brotherly love. It's not just a suggestion or good advice. Tonight I want to briefly look at a few examples here of brotherly love. And as we prepare to do that, I want to just define brotherly love just a little bit here uh, before we move into that. First of all, I want to point out that it's found in company with kind affection honor and preferring one another now preferring one another means that you treat everyone around you as more important than yourself Romans 12 verse 10 says be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another second brotherly love is principally concerned with the good of others I think when we think about brotherly love sometimes we're thinking who is brotherly loving me how supported do I feel How many people do you know have left a congregation because they say, Well, I just didn't feel I was getting the support that I needed. I hadn't been to church. I've actually heard people say, I didn't go to church for two weeks just to see who would call me. And you know what? They didn't even come by. And that is how they measure brotherly love. But what these verses tell us is that it's concern with others. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law for this now listen to this and be thinking about how does this relate to brotherly love he says for this thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not kill thou shalt not steal thou shalt not bear false witness that is to tell lies about what another person did and slander them thou shalt not covet thou shalt not be envious jealous wishing you had what other people had and hating them that you don't have it and that they do. That's covetousness. And it goes on and it says, And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now you see here again what I mentioned before from Hebrews 13. Brotherly love is expressed through things like hospitality, marriage, and how we treat our spouse, our conduct and concern for one another and respect for authority. Notice that we're told that we owe this to other men. It's not a question of who deserves it. it's a question of you have a debt of this to every person you come across, and especially to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to think for a minute about that brother or sister who has made you upset that. Irks you, irritates you, did you wrong, whatever. You owe them better than you're giving them. The third thing that defines brotherly love is that it involves giving of our lives for the provision or the care of our brothers. First John three, eleven through eighteen. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from life unto death because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good And seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, we may never be called on to die for our brother. We have a visitor tonight who served in the Air Force. I've served in the Air Force. Uh, We've had other people here that have served and... Part of your expectation there is that if you're called upon to die for your countrymen, you will. And the vast majority of us that never happens. But the question never arises: Would you? What are you going to do if the time comes where you have to? It's just understood that you're going to. And if you try not to, you'll have commanding officer and things in place where they, you know, it's going to happen. Uh, you'll you'll do your duty. That's the idea. Now, when we think about Christians. And whether or not you would lay down your life for somebody that's a little different isn't it we're going to develop this thought a little bit because it doesn't necessarily mean dying it means setting down everything about your life for the benefit of someone else Cain is the example that we're given here and if you don't think this through it may not make sense why in the world is it talking about Cain in this verse? well Cain murdered his brother because he was selfish And then it compares him to Christ Christ gave his life because he was selfless Cain selfish Christ selfless and you know what we can be murderous or we can be life-saving to the people that we encounter just by how we choose to either give or withhold brotherly love so the principal definition of brotherly love therefore is giving up our lives through purposeful action to meet the physical and the spiritual needs of our brethren. That means we give our time, we give our treasure, and we give our hearts to serving others. And that's going to look a little different across everybody. Another trap of brotherly love is you look at, you're like, I did such and so and this and that, and so and so doesn't do the same thing, so they aren't as good as me. No, 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 that's not true. Everybody's got their different personalities, their different gifts and talents, their different ways of contributing. The point is, are you giving all that God gave you? Because if you're not, then you're wrong. But you don't ever compare yourself to another person who may have a certain talent in some way and say, uh, well, you may be good at uh, bringing a casserole to somebody when they're sick, but if you can't get up here and preach, brotherly love, that's, that's like bro love. That's half love. We can't do that. All that does is discourage people. Now, if you withhold this brotherly love, if you withhold your talent, your time, your treasure, if being together with the body and supporting one another is not important to you, then what you're doing, according to this verse, is you're harboring a seed of the same hatred that Cain did for Abel, and it led him to murder. Why did it lead him to murder? Because it allowed hatred to grow. Hatred, the Bible tells us, is the same as murder. Hatred comes from... Bitterness and wrath and anger that is not dealt with, and envy and other things. So, with this in mind, I just was trying to impress upon you the importance of brotherly love because if you're like me, sometimes you're not interested in hearing about love. I want to hear about deep doctrinal things. That's my interest. I'm not always interested in um, lessons that talk about love, but God is love. It's the core of everything that we do. So, I want to look at some good examples tonight of what brotherly love looks like throughout the Bible and draw a couple of lessons from them. The first one we're going to look at is Abraham and Lot. Now, I'm going to call this one love versus covetousness or pride. Genesis 13, verses 1 through 2, in case you can't see my little writing up there. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot... With him into the south, and there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of the Lord. He's comparing it to the garden of Eden. Like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves one from another. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the plains, in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. There is so much to consider here. First of all, Abraham was senior to Lot, and in Middle Eastern culture, uh, if you were the elder, that carried a great deal more weight than it does in our society today. Abraham had every right to usurp authority over Lot. He had every right to choose because he was God's chosen, not Lot. If anything, he could have said, I'm taking it all. Lot, take a hike and go find your own place. But he didn't. And when it came to choices, there seemed to be one choice in particular, Sodom, that was the richer, better choice of the two. And of course, that's the one that Lot chose for himself. And Abraham, he could have coveted that land. He could have simply overcome Lot, cast him away. He could have done many things that might have seemed justified both to him and to us. But instead, he esteemed Lot higher than himself, and he sought Lot's need before his own. He sought peace, even when it cost him more than it seemed to cost Lot. Now, when we look back in hindsight, this can be difficult for us to swallow maybe in the moment, but in the long term, I just want to ask you, Who was the one that was surrounded by a depraved, rabid, wicked mob? Lot. Who was the one whose land was burned up? Lot. Who's the one whose wife was turned to a pillar of salt? Lot. Who's the one whose two daughters slept with him and created a corrupt nation of people? Lot. Who's the one whose descendants are still in that land of Canaan to this day? Abraham. You see, Lot chose what was pleasing to his eyes. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Abraham chose what was lasting. He chose brotherly love over covetousness and pride. Our second example is Jonathan and David. I'm going to call this one love versus family. I think some people need to hear this more than others. For some people, this may be the most important thing that gets said tonight first Samuel chapter 20 verses 1 through 4 and David fled from Nahath and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan what have I done what is mine iniquity and what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life and he said unto him God forbid thou shalt not die behold my father will do nothing either great or small but that he will show it me and why should my father hide this thing from me it's not so David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desirest, I will even do it for thee. Now, I want you to notice, Jonathan didn't just say, I'll pray for you, brother. That's a trying circumstance thoughts and prayers he went to work to help his brother even if it would cost him personally there was no limit to what he was willing to do some people say blood is thicker than water now nobody loves their family any more than I do but let me tell you something the waters of baptism supersede the blood in your veins on this earth because in eternity the heavenly family is far greater than this one on this earth and we do all have a responsibility to love serve and protect our families but we have to remember just as Jonathan did that our brothers and sisters in this life extend beyond those that are birthed in our immediate family so uh, Jonathan here I find it interesting He was willing to jump into David's struggle with his own father, with Jonathan's own father. And he made it his own. I just want to say that family cannot be our excuse for failing to obey God's command for brotherly love. Jonathan chose brotherly love over family when it was needed. And so too must we. If there is ever a person who says, I can't give, I won't give. To the church because I have to spend time with my family that is sin and we could make a whole lesson out of that but it has to be said it's very important that um, that uh, what's the word I'm looking for tribals coming to mind but that's not really what I mean but you understand that family unit sense of spirituality that doesn't cut it with God he has put us in a family for stability and for learning and for immediate support and responsibility, but he has given us a greater charge. And it goes well beyond family. And that cannot be the reason why we choose to not extend and practice godly, brotherly love. Our third example is Joseph and his brothers. We'll call this one love versus revenge, bitterness, resentment, self-pity, Genesis chapter 45, starting in verse 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. He's still hiding his identity before his brothers in Egypt. All of a sudden, he can't do it anymore. And he cried, cause every man to go out from me. And and there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. I mean, he was really upset. And he certainly wasn't embarrassed that everybody outside could hear him bawling like a baby. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I'm Joseph your brother whom you sold into Egypt. Yeah, I haven't forgotten what you did, in other words. Now therefore... Be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Verse 7, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he, Joseph, kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. You see what happened there? After Joseph took the first step, it opened the hearts of his brothers. Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21, this is after, um, you know, when Israel's about to die, Jacob. And now the brothers think, well, now that dad's dying, there's nothing to hold Joseph back from taking that revenge. And so Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is to this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Even though he had no reason by man's standards to do this, Joseph understood two things here. First, God is in control. Not only was God in control of Joseph's circumstances and future, but he was in control of Joseph's brother's actions all the way back to when they were actually sinning. He didn't cause them to sin, but he had a firm hand around that mess that they were making, and he never let go. Now, that can be a hard thing to wrap our minds around, but Joseph was willing to acknowledge this, and that allowed him to understand the second thing that's demonstrated here, and that is that love is wrapped in forgiveness all men give offense and sometimes that offense is downright murderous but even in the face of real harm coming from another we have to love our enemies and we have to recognize that sometimes our closest brothers can feel like enemies from time to time and one of the greatest ways to love someone is to forgive them indiscriminately imagine the relief that Joseph's brothers felt when he forgave them also imagine the shame they must have felt imagine how that shame must have opened up their eyes to the truth of Joseph's dream that he was of his worthiness to be bowed down before that's what started the whole problem or at least that was the the final catalyst they were so envious so mad that he'd had this dream that they would submit to him in some way but here we see it borne out to be God knows what he's doing And that eye-opening experience that those brothers had was only made possible by Joseph's unlikely love and forgiveness after they'd sought to kill him. Now, nobody's ever tried to kill me. They've done some things that I didn't like or whatever, but I have to say, nobody treated me like they treated Joseph. Nobody's treated me like they treated Jesus. And my little problems that I have... Somebody pulled a flower out of my flower bed at the 4th of July or something it's just not it's not valid it's not even I can't even I don't even shouldn't even come to my lips or mine because it's so ridiculously ignorant of me Ignorant's not the right word stupid maybe because I do know that that's foolish and we can't afford to be that way. Joseph chose brotherly love over revenge, over bitterness, over resentment, and over self pity. Let go of that self pity and that bitterness and resentment. Let go of that desire for revenge, including this kind. Well, I'm not going to take revenge, but boy, I can't wait till God does. No, you get that out of your mind too. Derek was telling a funny story about traffic. The other day that I completely relate to and I've thought it myself. You see people bypassing laws and rules and acting completely rude and they're wrong. They are wrong, wrong. There's no doubt they're wrong. Where's that cop? I hope they pull him over and get what they deserve. And then there's Janice. Now, now, you shouldn't be wishing on them something like that. You're a Christian. I'm the same way somebody speeding by me I'm like Man, where's the cops they're cutting me off and uh, it won't be too long later where I'm doing the same thing I'm like okay well I don't want anybody to pull me over so I take that back let that revenge that spirit of revenge go and choose to love instead our fourth example is on <clears throat> and we call this active love versus passive or apathetic love 2nd Timothy 1 16 through 17 the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, this is Paul talking, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. Now in this example, we see one brother serving another, which is very important. But don't miss something key here. Onesiphorus didn't serve when it was convenient or obvious. He diligently looked for Paul. He found him in Rome. He had to inquire after him. He had to pursue him. Onesiphorus could have taken the approach of, well, Paul's, he's out of sight, out of mind. And then maybe he would have said something like what we may have said, well, I wish I'd known I could have been there to help. Now, I'm just going to ask, are we diligently inquiring after others? Do we accept the veneer that people put up? And by that I mean, the truth is, most people are putting on a brave face, but inside they are hurting and in need. And they will never tell you. Half the time they won't tell you if you ask them, how are you doing? Great. You sure? Yes. I'm going to go now. And what this verse, what this example is telling us is that there's some diligence, some pursuit on our part that is required when we're really engaged in brotherly love when's the last time we diligently checked in on a brother or sister and if necessary tracked them down and found them and begin to tend to their obvious needs even if they denied those needs were there You ever seen somebody hurt maybe an animal you ever seen a hurt animal it's in terrible pain needs to be helped but it'll snap at you when you try to help it and humans are no different they may not put their apply their teeth to your skin But they're biting you nevertheless, right? You have to work through that. And they will thank you for it eventually. Onesiphorus chose active brotherly love over passive or apathetic brotherly love. And then our last example is Jesus. We'll call this no-limits love. John 19, 16-18 tells the story of Jesus being led to be crucified. And then in John 15, 13, Jesus says... Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Are there limits to your love? Is there a line in the sand, as it were, beyond which you will not go? Is there a price that is too high to pay? Jesus said that the epitome of brotherly love is the sacrifice of one's whole life, if necessary, to save a brother. And again, don't get caught up in your mind thinking death, because this is talking about a laying down of your life the same way that we lay down our lives in baptism. It is, I'm gonna set aside everything about me for a little bit to give everything I have to you. That's the death that we're talking about. But my question is still the same. is there a limit to how far we're willing to go to love another forgive another serve another diligently seek another is there a position or a treasure that you hold that you will not risk for a brother or sister jesus relinquished heaven and god the father for a time out of love for mankind now is there anything that you have that you possess that is more valuable than what jesus gave up he's already set a price upon every man's head it is infinite value what will you or I hold before God someday and say you see this thing right here God this is why I couldn't do what you needed me to do it was too much because I would have had to lose this I got work God I had plans for my own little family thing When we got together to have the baby shower for the needy family or whatever the case may be what are you going to hold before God and say this was more valuable than your son's blood because that's what God paid for those people and then he said to you and I take care of them there is no thing and no one that should stand between us and brotherly love as we conclude I want to look at first Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 1 through 9 it says, furthermore then we beseech you brethren and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God so ye would abound more and more. For ye you know the commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication. Here he goes again talking about stuff that don't really seem to apply to brotherly love and yet they do because anything that causes ill for another person is an absence of brotherly love. So he says, that they should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. What I just said about standing before God and saying, this is it, God, this is what was more important, than that priceless individual. We're told that someday the Lord is the avenger of those people. Verse 7, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth brotherly love, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us His Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. The Bible tells us that if we're to please God, then we must obey Him. These denominations that go around saying that you utter a prayer, you say something, and then you just go on and live your life because of grace, it's the biggest lie Satan's ever perpetrated upon men. We are called to a life of change and good works. We are set free by grace for good works. Those works would be directed to people. It doesn't mean good works out in the field, filling your two barns up, tearing down to build greater. It's the people. Obedience boils down to giving up what we want, giving up trying to please our flesh. We're to stop feverishly seeking what we desire that will make us feel good, that scratches that itch, that pleases us in a moment so that we might do something better. Something that actually will last. Paul says in one point in scripture that someday there are treasures we can lay up in heaven and they will be the souls that we help to save while on this earth. This is what God made us for. This is a God-honoring life of obedience. We were created for holiness, not uncleanness. And uncleanness is also selfishness. We were created to serve others in love rather than focusing exclusively on ourselves. Now... Look, this is contrary to our nature. Let's not anybody pretend that it's not. We don't naturally look for ways to serve others. So you sometimes hear excuses, well, I just didn't know. I didn't see that need. I didn't think God would want me to do that thing for someone else. I didn't think he'd want me to give up so much. I thought God wanted me to be happy. And so I didn't do that thing for that person because that would have been too hard, it would have been too demanding. It would have demanded something unreasonable from me. Besides, I had other plans for my time, my resources, my life. I showed up to church on Sundays and put some money in the plate. That should have been good enough. You know, we could go on with the things that we say when we turn our love on ourselves instead of others. What about this one? I'm not interested in what someone else wants or needs from me. I'm a grown man or woman, this is what I want, so I'm going to do that, and I have no responsibility to anybody but myself. But you know, even as we say those types of things, this passage of scripture we read, it reminds us of an important truth. When we despise the needs of others, when we elevate our desires above others, we aren't robbing them. We're robbing God we aren't telling them they aren't worth it they can't have it that we don't care no we're telling God that he isn't worth it he can't have that thing and we don't care how it makes him feel and while all that's going on verse 9 tells us that we know better we know this is wrong Paul says to the Thessalonians you have no need that I write to you about the importance of brotherly love of crucifying the flesh of serving others why because we already know it God taught us that lesson himself he planted it in the deepest furrows of our hearts we know we're to love each other to love our parents to love our children to love our relatives to love our friends to love our fellow Christians to love the whole world with a fervor and dedication likened to that which we try to love ourselves Denial's not going to change that truth we know the truth so in the face of this truth we need to remember Peter's admonition, 1 Peter 1.22, seeing you've purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. There's only one thing to be done as a child of God. If we claim to be saved, then we must show unfeigned love. That's, it can't be pretend. It can't be forced. It can't be a show. It can't be done as something just to check a block. It has to be pure fervent love. You have to feel it. Doing this is going to give you some peace and fulfillment. Acts 20, 35, I've showed you all things. How that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed blessed to give than to receive. <clears throat> People may say, Well, I don't feel it. <laughs> I just don't. Well, there's two things I'll say to that. Number one. It is the Holy Spirit working within you to change you into a new creature that produces that feeling. And the second thing, sometimes you start by faking it until you make it, and you go through the motions. Now, I know I just said you can't pretend to love, but it's not pretending when you're doing it because God has commanded you to do it, and you are striving to do it, even though it's not producing a feeling within you that is good. But if you're doing it and you hate every minute of it and you're doing it because you have to as a show to men, now that is feigned love. There's a difference. So we don't wait for a feeling to act this way. We start to act this way, and the feeling oftentimes develops a little later on. And Acts 20.35 tells us that there's going to be a peace, a blessing that comes to us when we do this. And if you haven't experienced that for yourself yet, then it's possible you either, A, haven't tried it, or B, you did it on false pretenses. And only you can know that. And the only way that you can correct that is through prayer on your knees before God, asking Him to to create in you a clean heart. So, I just want to conclude by saying the following. If... um, If you choose to love this way, there's some old book, I don't remember, Crazy Cycle? Something Charity told me about. I would typically never read such a thing. Um, But as I recall, what it said was in a marriage, you start fighting and bickering. You're not getting along. Both people are offended. Both people are hurt. So neither one ever feels like doing the thing that's required to fix it and creates the crazy cycle. And what it takes is one of you to decide that you're going to change and act the way you should, even though the other person doesn't deserve it and doesn't return and doesn't respond the way that they should. So in our marriage, can you guess who took that step first? It wasn't me, but it, it, it worked. Now, charity may say, well, it hasn't completely worked, but it worked some. All right. Um, and the same thing applies here. If you start loving others in this way, it will inspire them to love in that same way too. It is a love that requires nothing of a person. It is just heaped upon them abundantly, constantly, even when they throw it back at you. People can't run from that forever. It will change them. and that's a beautiful and precious thing. So I just want to leave leave you today by saying that let brotherly love continue. Don't wait for anybody else. Don't look and see how people are behaving. Don't wait for a feeling in you. Just start doing what the Bible tells you. Watch the blessings come. Watch the change it creates. And someday, you're going to get to heaven. And as excited as you're going to be about being there and seeing the Lord and everything... Just be beyond words the joy over that. I suspect you're going to be overjoyed also when you look to the side and you see those people that you extended this kind of love to, and they arrived there with you because of what you did, and maybe you're also there because of what they did as it relates to brotherly love. So, don't get too tired and worn out with this thing. People can be tiring. But it's all worth it in the end, and life is very short. Like Dane said, and our life is, is just a vapor. You're not going to be having many opportunities to do this. That person that you're resenting today, withholding your love and forgiveness from, tomorrow, tonight, they could be gone. And you'll never have that opportunity again, but you will still face the avenger of those people. That's what the Bible says, and the Lord is a consuming fire, so take your pick, which you want to be someday. So the lesson is before you. Uh, If there is anyone here tonight who has not responded to the gospel and is ready to confess their sins before the Lord, confess that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of those things, submit to the waters of baptism... Uh, We invite you to do that tonight, and if there is anyone who would like the prayers of the church for anything, we ask you to come forward to this front bench as we stand and sing the invitation song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.